Hi, this is Steven. I once trained and worked as an actor in Hollywood. Today, I host Hollywood and Beyond podcast here in my hometown of Cincinnati, where I strive to bring you meaningful interviews. I hope you will enjoy my podcast. Thanks for listening. This is Anna East Eden. You're listening to Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham. Enjoy! Hi, this is host Stephen Brittingham. Welcome to another episode of Hollywood and Beyond podcast, where I strive to bring you meaningful interviews. My special guest today is Frederick Keeve, the director, star, screenwriter, producer, and the composer of The Accompanist. When a talented pianist, haunted by his past and dealing with enormous and overwhelming grief, searches for a redemption when he meets a dancer at the ballet studio, where he plays. This is The Accompanist, and at the conclusion of our in-depth and enjoyable conversation, be sure to stick around for an exclusive listen to the title song that appears in The Accompanist, If You Ever Needed Me, that is sang by Frederick Keeve himself. That will be following our conversation today. Thank you and enjoy the show. That was a beautiful class. Thanks. I asked around about you. You're incredible, you know that. (laughs) Have you ever had a dream and see it fall apart right in front of you? Mom, she was in such a bad mood yesterday. Something to do with the lawyer. I don't know what to do about this guy, but I'm worried about him. I think you can make him happy. I can't leave right now. He's sick. We have this amazing connection. Tell me! Look at these two lovebirds. We're helping each other be better. Tell me you love me and I'll stay. When you and mom were arguing, what were you arguing about? What is your problem?
welcome to another episode of Hollywood and Beyond Podcast. This is host, actor and writer, Stephen Brittingham. It is so nice to have you listening today. Thank you so much. I also hope this finds you safe and well. I'd love to hear from you. Send me your comments, feedback, and questions my way anytime at hollywoodandbeyondshow at gmail.com. I hope to hear from you soon. My special guest today is here to discuss his film, The Accompanist. Frederick Keeve, director, writer, and producer of the film. His involvement, though, does not end there, for he is also one of the principal roles in the film. And I think this is wonderful. He is also the composer. During the opening segment, I provided you with some of the details of the film. I am looking forward to learning more about the making of the film and what Frederick has to say about it. The healing power of music especially for those who are lost or hurting, is a prominent theme that I noticed in The Accompanist. Frederick has a long list of credits as an actor and also as a stand-in, which I admire very much. This would include Westworld, Bones, and CSI, A Star is Born, and La La Land. And he has also produced some events, and I should say some big events. It is a pleasure to have him joining me here today. Frederick Keeve, welcome to Hollywood and Beyond, sir. Thank you, Stephen. I'm just, uh, I'm so excited, especially after talking with you a bit to be on your show. And uh, I I have to tell you that uh, I've worked on a lot of film sets over the years, and a lot of our crews uh, we're from Ohio, and uh, my brother-in-law is um, from Ohio, and the nicest people come from Ohio. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's good to know. <laughs> I appreciate that, and it's so nice to have you here today. I, I enjoyed your film uh, just recently, and I've been thinking about it, and that's always a good sign right there. Well, where are you joining me from today, in case folks out there are wondering? I am at home at my home office in beautiful Venice, California, which is usually quite sunny. It's a little overcast today um, because we're, you know, on Pacific time, uh, so it's a little earlier in the morning. But uh, yeah, Venice, California, one of, I think, the best place to live in L.A., very, you know, just close to the beach, about seven blocks from the beach. Oh, very nice. I can just picture it now in my mind. <laughs> uh, and I love the beach too. So that is just wonderful. Well, so nice to have you here. And how about we get things started? I would like to uh, bring up really quick, though, before we discuss your film, The Accompanist. And I, I just can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. And your performance in the film was outstanding. Very, um, very captivating performance you gave. Um, I noticed that you appeared on an episode of Westworld. I did. That that was um, that was interesting. That was a 
You know, every every set, you know, television is a little bit different than if you're working on an indie film or a big feature film. But uh, Westworld, uh, that's that's a big, big show. And they um, yeah, it was it was a little while ago. But, it, you know, it's always for me, if I if I don't have a big role, if a, you know, even if it's a, like a featured background or, or stand in, you know, being on set like we were talking about. It's such a good way to not only network with crew and with other actors, but also just to watch uh, the work that the the lead actors do in shows. You know, it's I think everything adds up to something. You know, it's all it's all a great learning experience. So, I I love being on set. And the first time I remember, I felt like I think I auditioned for um, it was a Tim Burton film was it Mars attacks? It was a long, long time ago. And I remember standing next to Sarah Jessica Parker. I hope that's the right movie. And I was in a, a line of guys that, um, we were up for a role and, and, um, uh, the director came by and he just he didn't say anything, but he looked at each one of us, you know, kind of a lineup, but it, you know, it's always, every, every set's different and it's always exciting. You know, I remember the, the first film I ever was in as, as a dancer of all things was One from the Heart, which was uh, a really innovative Francis uh, Coppola, Francis Ford Coppola film. And the great, late, great Gene Kelly was directing the dance sequences. So, you know, every, every film is different. And I feel like if you love what you do, which I do, I love, Hollywood. I love film. I have a passion for independent film, as you probably can see with the accompanist. Um, I feel like um, if you're open and you're willing to learn and you're humble and, you know, you just, you know, have a good attitude, um, I, I believe you can do whatever you want to do. I mean, I'm, I'm going to win an Oscar. I'll say it on radio. I'm going to win at least one or two Oscars one day. I put it into my mind. I believe it. And I put it out there into the universe. Oh, that is beautiful. I think that is uh, that is amazing. You have that thought in your mind, that uh, determination, that perhaps I should say that feeling inside, and that helps drive you and and, and lead you on your path to achieving those goals. You know what? Hey, I believe that you can do it, Frederick. <laughs> Well, you'll be the first one to hopefully. I'll, you'll be my first phone call. Hey, Stephen, guess oh, what? Oh, wow. Hey, I, if that happens, I'm going to be by my uh, phone for the day. I'm going to be waiting to hear from you. <laughs> oh, wow. That Hey, that is great. I, well, I like how, how you think. Uh, thinking big like that, that. That is wonderful. And thanks for sharing all that you did. I appreciate that. Well, how about we get to your film? the accompanist and you wow talk about a man who wears many hats and i can can certainly relate to that because i do that with my show i produce i edit i do the sound uh, i also am, am an actor and writer so i i can understand what that process is like but I'm, i have to say how impressed i am that you were also the composer because i really enjoyed the music that's in this film including a song that you performed and sang uh, that I really, really enjoyed. I thought I added so much to the film. But how about we start at the beginning? How would you best describe your film to a person that perhaps has never heard of it before? Um, 
You mean like if I was just saying the pitch or just correct? Them like what let's it say sounds. someone said, "Oh, hey, tell me mm-hmm. about the accompanist." I mean, how would you describe the storyline to that person? I would say it's a um, it's a love story or a gay a gay love triangle, um, and uh, it's about a a middle aged man, my, myself. Uh, Jason Holden, who's an accompanist at a ballet studio who is trying to find his way in life. He's trying to heal a family tragedy, which we, we have little clues to throughout the film, but we don't know exactly what happened. And he's trying to find love and he's trying to be true to himself and his own, uh, what his actual, you know, sexual preference or sexuality is and just trying to heal his family his kids, his uh, soon-to-be ex-wife, Karen, and find his way in life. And also, because he does have this special gift with music, and it all really comes down to the music in the film, uh, he's trying to find a way to use his gift uh, appropriately so it can, do, it can heal people, it can help people. So there's, uh, yeah, there's uh, a lot of uh, moving parts in, in, you know, in that, uh, sort of that storyline. Thank you for that description. That was excellent. Well, when did the idea or inspiration as a screenwriter first enter your mind for this film? Well, that's an interesting question because it actually, I, you know how they say, write what you know? Well, I had, I guess, just finished a film or, you know, I was at that point where I knew I wanted to create something. And I was, I um, am a pianist at a very fine ballet studio, Westside Ballet or Westside Academy of Dance uh, in Santa Monica. And they've been a premier training ground for some of our great uh, ballet dancers through over 50 years. So it's, a, it's an incredible studio. My daughters, uh, two of my daughters trained there for 10 years until they became adolescents and teenagers. And of course they rebelled. They go, we don't want to take ballet anymore, dad. (laughs) But, um, it's, um, it really started from my love of music and my love of ballet as an art form and actually working, you know, as a pianist for professional classes at, at this beautiful ballet studio. And as I sat at the piano waiting for the next class to start, um, I thought the thought just came to me. I thought I want to write a film. I want to do a film about, um, a gay love story. Cause I've never done anything like that. Um, I thought that, that needs that, that is something that could help a lot of people understand what it's like, not in the Hollywood version, but in the real version of what is it like to be a gay male, uh, and be in, Again, you know, in that type of relationship, what does that entail? But more, more realistic, not more, you know, approaching it in a realistic fashion. And then I thought, well, this is a great opportunity for me to use my music and, uh, and all my years of composing and playing piano. And so I could put my music in the score of the film. And since I am the accompanist, I mean, I play for ballet classes. I'll put myself in one of the leads 
which of course is always appealing to an actor and, um, and just uh, show, bring back the beauty of ballet and classical music to audiences. Cause I feel that over the past 20 years, our culture, and I don't mean it in a negative way, because I, I always look at life, try to look at life in a very positive fashion, but our culture is kind of degraded in a sense of with social media and just the way our media has been a, a approached in the last 20 years, we've kind of lost our, you know, the love of that. I mean, we had Black Swan, of course, and so, a few ballet yes. movies, but... I, th- I feel like people need to see beautiful dancers, beautiful ballet, beautiful classical music. Cause we don't, we don't have that enough in the media. If you lived in Europe, you'd find a, a quartet playing on every street corner, some corner sometimes, but we don't, you know, a lot of times culture that's um, available here. Uh, you you have to pay three hundred dollars for a ticket, so it's it's a little it's a little uh, uh, it's very different in our culture the way we approach the arts, the way we approach the classical arts, and and um, I, so I had a number of goals that were very important to me when I started to tell this story and when I wrote the story, tell a realistic gay love story, show beautiful ballet, the ballet that I play for sometimes you know i was playing every day for for wonderful classes show beautiful ballet dancers and expose audiences again to you know rachmaninoff and prokofiev and gorgeous music and it just it kind of built from there and then i love as a device i love magical realism so i i threw the magic in because i thought it you know, if I was a pianist and if I played music and I could send someone back in time to be healed where they need to be healed most, I found that a compelling device. You know, I thought that who who wouldn't be tempted by that, even if there was a little danger to it, you know, to go back and be able to do that. One of my favorite movies is Peggy, uh, Peggy Sue Got Married, and she has a you know, she goes to her uh, 25th uh, high school reunion and she, she's the, the queen and she comes up, you know, she, and they're all chanting Peggy Sue. She has an aneurysm and she goes back to high school. And so you get to see, does she make the same quote mistakes? Does she still fall for the Nicolas Cage character, you know, or, or is she going to use her wisdom of being a uh, having the memories of being a grown-up woman, you know, 25 years later back in high school. Mm-hmm. But I, I love that device of just being able to look at time that it's not, I mean, and this is also my spiritual beliefs too, but I don't believe time is li- linear. I mean, it's a linear construct for um, for being in the world. You know, you have to get up, you set your alarm, you go to work, whatever. But I, I kind of believe that time is exists all at once. You know that 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 somewhere the past is existing and somewhere the future is existing. That's why it's important for me, and I think for anyone, especially in the creative arts, is you have a certain amount of control of your destiny. And when you visualize something, it can come into being if you see it has already happened. So, uh, for example, with my, I'm doing a sequel to The Accompanist now, and we're in pre-production. It's called The Accompanist Awakening. Well, congratulations. So what I do is I come over. 
Very, yes, it's very exciting. And if we have time, I can talk about that. It's going to be bigger, better. You know, I've been talking with stars. Wow. And, you know, it, it's very uh, excited it's a, about this. It's a bigger, <laughs> but yeah, it's no, it's, it's a very exciting time. But when I go to my refrigerator, what I see is what I put up there, among other, you know, uh, affirmations, is I am so grateful that. I received $2 million for the Accompanist Awakening because that's our budget, which is you know a much bigger budget than this particular film was made on. Uh, so I, I am so grateful that I received $2 million to produce my film, The Accompanist Awakening, and my film, The Accompanist Awakening, is up for five Academy Awards. So I see it as already happened. And, if, and if, especially as a creative, if you can visualize it, and, and it, it doesn't take away from the hard work. It's a lot of hard work. But if you don't give up on your dream, um, my message to anyone listening out there who has a dream, and I think most people do or should have a dream to motivate them, that they can achieve that if, you know, like Winston Churchill said, you know, never give up, never, never, never give up. You, you just, you know, you just go for it. So that's, um, and if I'm an example of anything, um, I can tell you with this film, The Accompanist, it started as that idea at the piano at Westside Ballet, my wonderful ballet studio. It started as an idea. And from that, I'm here now ready to have the, the film released on a, actually it's now on a global level, but it's being released here in all English speaking countries through Amazon and iTunes June 2nd. But we actually sold the film at Cannes Film Festival uh, that was our first sale to all to many European countries, over a dozen European countries. So, from this small idea about music and dance, and you know, a beautiful love story, uh, I've arrived at a place where the film is bigger than I could have ever imagined. You know, so I'm, you know, I'm very grateful. I'll tell you what, boy, that was just a wonderful and in-depth answer. Uh, thank you so much, Frederick. Uh, wow. Uh, there's a lot to for me to respond on that. Uh, well, first, June 2nd is the date where your film will be available on Amazon Prime, for example. Is that correct? It's uh, Well, the way release patterns go now, if, there, if a film isn't going to the theater, and I'm, I'm sure you know this, but just for your audience, uh, the film, uh, well, just back up a bit. Uh, so what happened was when we finished the film, uh, last year at the end of April, uh, I went on, I did a, uh, we strategized for the film festival circuit. And so that, that's a whole long discussion in itself, but we, we did very well on the film festival circuit. The film won a lot of awards. And, uh, but we had a certain strategy because we don't have stars in our film. We don't have Alec Baldwin. We don't have Judith Light. We don't have, you know, some of those favorites that will be in a film at Outfest, for example, if you're looking at a, a LGBTQ festival. But so what we did aside from our film festival strategy is that I didn't have to go look for a sales agent. I didn't have to go look for a distributor. They all came to me. And the reason is, obviously, they would have to like the film and believe in it. But even if backing up to the previous year, when we went to make the film, what we did, um, and I work with a wonderful producer, and she's a dear friend. She's a Brit. She lives in England. 
uh, wonderful writer and producer, Julie Eagleton, what we did was Julie built our social media following from the very beginning. So if there's any independent filmmakers out there, and I'm sure they probably know this, what we did right, what, and we didn't know. We were just you know, trying to strategize and do the best we could. But we built our following, we branded the accompanists right from the very beginning, far before we started shooting. While we were doing an Indiegogo campaign, to that, you know, we didn't actually raise that much money from it. But what was good about the campaign was it got the word out and we built it and built it and built it. So when we finally got to October of 2018 and we started filming, we, um, we had accomplished a lot of um, media and social media and we had sort of branded the film. Fortunately, when we did finish shooting by the end of the year, because we shot in October and we also went back and shot in November. Um, and when we were in post, uh, Ryan, um, our wonderful sales agent, Ryan, uh, just called me out of the blue and said, hey, I've heard about your film. And I was thinking, the film is not even finished. You know, how could he hear about it? But he said, uh, I'm with... Um, well, he was with Concourse Media, which is a big, uh, big sales agent. Uh, uh, company, but he he said I'm I'm forming this, this new company, Motion Picture Exchange, and uh, we would really like to rep your film. And so they came on as the sales agents. They brought it to Cannes. They sold it. They brought it to TIFF. They sold Brazil territory there. And then through them, uh, I got in touch. Uh, Dark Star Pictures approached me, and if you check out Dark Star, it's a distribution company. They're a class act. They have uh, films with, you know, like Stockholm with Ethan Hawke, and they, they just represent great films, whether it's um, European or if it's, uh, you know, it's an American film. And they're, they're a classy company. So I had these great people come to me and believe in this project and like the film enough to put their power behind it. And so where we are today is that my film, come June 2nd, will be in every corner of the world, not just the United States and not just Europe, but in Canada, in the Bahamas, in South Africa, in the UK, uh, Brazil. So it's a, it's a really become like, I think, you know, from something so small, it's sitting at my piano, this wonderful sort of flower has bloomed and hopefully, you know, June 2nd, uh, the English speak, you know, U.S. audiences will, will like the film. But, oh, but what I was just going to say as far as all of this marketing release pattern is that it comes out on Amazon Insta and iTunes transactionally on June 2nd, which means if you're excited about this film, then hopefully some people are. And also we're, we've timed it. This is my smart marketing team. <laughs> Timed it, uh, and my my smart, very smart distributor, Dark Star Pictures. That's great. They've timed it because we're we're coming out on, on Gay Pride Month, so in June. So it's kind of you know it's everything has been thought out to try to maximize the potential of the film reaching the biggest audience. But so we're if, if uh, hopefully if some people will you know want excited about the film they'll plunk down the 12.99 to buy it um 
And, you know, so that, that's, that's the release pattern. It starts out where if you want it, then you have to pay for it. Um, but then we have to wait 90 days. So in September, the film is released um, onto a streaming platform, which will probably be, I mean, I don't know. I have to talk to Mike from Dark Star to see where we're going. But it'll be like on a, you know, a, a major platform like Netflix or Hulu. So, yeah, that's how, that's kind of the release strategy where it works on, you know, for the streaming world. I really appreciate that information. Thank you so much. And, and of course, let me just say now, I wish you and all those involved all the best with the film production. And I'll certainly do my part to help get the word out. You can count on that. You know, going back to your uh, really in-depth answer and uh, explanation earlier about the the storyline of the film. I mean, of course, there's several actual storylines within the film, uh, you know, not just one. Uh, I wanted to kind of bring up how you mentioned about the impact of music and also the your thought process on time itself. You know, you had me thinking of the film Interstellar which has a very strong uh, theme of time, uh, a looping time like you described in many ways. So you brought that to my mind. Also a film that has very much fascinated me. And I just wanted to say, I wanted to commend you that those scenes in the film where suddenly it's, it, it, all of a sudden it goes to shots of the universe and the galaxy and other types of shots. I was really impressed with that because I have to tell you, I don't think many people would expect that kind of scene when first starting to watch this, this film. So that was a very nice addition and decision on your part. I really like that because it just made my eyes get big and think about, okay, so there's a lot of uh, depth here. There's a lot that's this film's trying to say, and I got that. So I wanted to commend you on that. Uh, very interesting. I would like to say I liked how you started out the film, and then this spirit kind of stayed with it, where there wasn't a lot of talking at all at the first part of the film. The scenes spoke for themselves, and it had me thinking about your character in many interesting ways. So I just wanted to say I really like that approach. Um, don't always see that in films as much these days, but I like that. I like that buildup. Was that a conscious decision that you made when you were writing the script that you kind of wanted to start in a slow cooker type of uh, uh, approach? You know, it's it's really interesting that you mentioned that because I, I hadn't really thought about that, to tell you the truth. I, I may have been thinking about it unconsciously at the okay. time, but I, I like that you made that comment because now that I, you know, look at it and think about the film, I think it's a good, uh, a structural device because I'm, like for me, I love dialogue and I usually end up writing way too much dialogue in a script. And I, I had to, for example, with the accompanist awakening, the, the upcoming film, I, I needed, it was a little long and I, and I cut out about eight pages and uh, most of it was just excess dialogue. So I really love the fact that you brought that up because now that I think about it, why audiences have seemed to respond to it you know, through the film festival circuit, for example, 
is that um, that you are drawn into it by the music, the gorgeous music, you know, the Rachmaninoff concerto and all that. And, um, and that it's probably, you know, part of the power of film that uh, there was just, uh, you know, you get uh, my character crying at the piano and, and yes. the picture of the family and you, kind of get the idea something's very wrong but you don't really know what it is and and then you see the the beautiful ballet classes so i think i i haven't had anyone make that comment um and um i think that's a very that really makes me think about um the structure of the film i mean we we didn't really uh i like to stick uh, pretty you know, closely to what's in the script, like the dialogue and uh -huh. all that, that we didn't improvise that, but we did have to improvise some of those dance sequences because, um, you know, we let a great performer like John J. Todd, who, who used to, he's unfortunately passed on, but he, he the teacher for the classes, he, he was a great actor and, you know, very talented individual, but also a ballet dancer. And, so I asked him if he would teach the class because he did that at the studio. And then I asked Nader Hamed, who who played the um, very colorful artistic director auditioning the four boys for the, you know, if you remember the audition sequence with the four male ballet dancers, um, he he improvised his scene because I I just you know needed someone tall and graceful that had had a great career in ballet, and um, he just. He just took it and flew with it and and did the boys auditions uh with the with the four dancers so yeah that's such an amazing um i really appreciate your comment because you're most welcome. now that i think about it yeah now that i think about it i think it's the of course i i love like i said i love dialogue but i think the powerful the power of the movie comes through the music and through the dance and, and uh, you know, just like the tagline, you know, it's when there's nowhere left to hide, the music will find you. And I, and I think I love that tagline because it always comes back to the music. Even when Brandon is falling in love with Jason, he also falls in love with his music and he, you know, he's with his abusive boyfriend in their apartment and uh, he, has his headphones on and he lays down on the couch and he listens to the music and that kind of transports him to another experience. And I, I was just going to also mention quickly, because sure. I, I know I'm talking a lot. No, go so, right ahead. I'm but enjoying I just, every moment. Cause I'm, I'm kind of thinking about, because you, you've asked some really, um, you know, very thoughtful questions. And I, I just recalled that when a friend of mine who is, um, she, I won't call her a psychic. She's a spiritualist. She has a certain ability to just sort of, I don't know. She's like a spiritual doctor or something. She's, she's a very, she's a powerful healing individual and she, she takes life from a very spiritual perspective. And uh, when she saw the film, she was blown away because she said, did you know that those things you showed in the film, like the, you know, going the music of the spheres and, and the images that he, uh, you know, that he experienced or that um, Adam experienced when he attacks uh, Jason in the alley. And, and uh, we see those images of, 
you know, different things, or you see the image of the lotus, and yes. don't want to give too much away. But she said, she said, she said that it was. She said that's all true. That's all accurate. She said you nailed it perfectly. But I don't. I'm. I haven't necessarily had those experiences. I may believe in some of that, but I just it just came from my mind, or it was channeled oh, through me, or came through me. But, uh, but it was interesting that she said that that was from a spiritual dimension that was, she felt very accurate and that what blew her away about the film, the message of the film is that when Adam, who's the abusive boyfriend, um, when there's the confrontation scene and again, don't want to give too much away, but we, we went through a lot of thought to not have him have a gun or bring you know, do it the traditional way that you see in most mm-hmm. movies for revenge or all of that, but that they had a different understanding of forgiveness. And she said, that is such a beautiful message to send to audiences. So yes. it's a, it's a very, uh, uh, you know, we do, there is the, there's a lot in it. There, there is, you know, the, the, the physical relationship of the men but there's also the spiritual relationship. And so you, and, and so between that and the music and the family drama and everything, it's like, I just threw everything and the kitchen sink in there too. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, there is a spiritual element. I think earlier when I was mentioning the, the shots of the universe, so to speak, I mean, I had the same reaction that you just uh, described to me is that there is a spiritual element um, and as an artist, I connected to that, and it just opened up my mind as I was watching this film. Uh, and I must say, your character. So going back to what we just talked about earlier, that you know you, there wasn't any dialogue right away. Your character's jogging, for example, and just outside. But, you know, I love a film that takes me on a journey. And I felt those scenes told me that I was going to go on a journey. So I wanted to be sure to share that with you. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that because um, it, whether I did it, you know, just unconsciously or, or whether we kind of, you know, with working with the editor for four months, we created that. Like I say, we stuck, you know, to the, pretty closely to the script, but, but how, you know, films are, as we say, made in post and there's a lot of decisions when you're editing that, you know, you need to fix the scene or there's technically something wrong with it or you want it to be longer or shorter. So, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that because now it makes me look at the work in a different way. Well, maybe when you go and, back uh, and see it again, that, that'll kind of stand out to you. At least that would be my hope. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it very <laughs> yes, much. Yes, and uh, uh, I, I, I mean, I really enjoyed that. And then, of course, when your character is... is playing the piano or, or perhaps it's the keyboard there or whatnot. And then suddenly, you know, it's going so well. And then suddenly it's not, you know, that also spoke volumes that there's inner tor- turmoil going on. There's, there's, there's something that he's dealing with and that was laid out very well. And I must add, the thing I liked about your performance is like those scenes involving family. Obviously, in my opinion, this character was a very um, loving and caring and involved parent. At least that was my interpretation. 
And I really enjoyed those scenes because they're very different from other scenes, other sides of your character. Because uh, especially after a few minutes, I realized that your character was kind of going through the motions. Like, I started to think that, you know, he's, he's you know, going throughout his day, but it kind of seems like he's really got to push himself just to get through the day. So I have to say... What I'm trying to say is that you set up the film in a very impressive way. So congratulations on that. You know, thank you. And I will say that um, the actors that I hired, I had either worked with on stage or I knew their work. Oh, okay. And I knew how, I knew how talented they were. And what, like Chris, uh, Paul, who plays my uh, son, Max, in the film, um, we're motorcycle buddies. I oh, ride wow. motorcycles now. And, uh, I know, crazy, right? But the LA traffic, well, you know, pre-COVID-19 was probably the worst anywhere and I couldn't stand it. So I just, um, I thought, um, anyway, I had this uh, acting buddy, uh, Chris, who is, you know, much younger than me, but he, he was kind of like my my mentor for, uh, for motorcycle riding because he grew up in New Jersey and his whole family rode motorcycles. So I thought I'm just going to try this, and and what happened was I, you know, took the course, the first like safety course, and I got my M1, and then I just fell in love with motorcycles, and and I ride my motorcycle everywhere. Oh, wow! But, so I and I knew what a, and I knew what a fantastic actor Chris was. So it made sense for him. We already had a relationship, you know. We already were good friends, and uh, I knew that he should play my son. And with mm-hmm. Julia Doherty, who's um, a dance influencer and she's quite influential in her way. And she's also been, uh, you know, had leads in films and stuff. She read the script and really wanted to be a part of the project. And she was introduced to me through Ricky Palomino, who plays my lover in the movie, who's also a dance influencer. And he said, Hey, I have this friend, Juliet, she lives in New York. So we had a very small budget and I had three great girls who could have been my daughter in the film, Isabella, but when I saw Juliet, I knew she was my daughter. I mean, yeah. I, I just felt fatherly. I loved her I felt performance. That connection. And she, right? She was fantastic. Yes, and so she was. I just thought, well, I'm going to use my own money and, and I'm just going to give her, you know, give her a per diem and I'm going to fly her out to New York. And, you know, it was an expense that we really couldn't afford in the film. Mm-hmm. But I thought, I've got to have the person that's right for this role. So I was personally connected and same to Aaron, you know, Aaron and I were in play at a play at the Odyssey here in LA, Aaron uh, Cabot, who's a, a phenomenal actor, phenomenal. So uh, even, even my wife in the film, Jeanette driver as Karen, who just has a small part, mainly in the you know flashback sequences, She's a brilliant stage actress who's won awards. She, she's a Brit. She toured with the Vanessa Redgraves touring company oh, wow. when she was very young. So I'm a believer that every part, is, any part is a big part. I want every actor to be the best if, you know, that can, can convey that character. So it was wonderful having a, a, an actor of Jeanette's stature to play Karen, even just in those small yes. scenes, because... You know, that, that fight between us in those, the car scene, uh, mm-hmm. that, that had to be improvised. That was not scripted. And, um, you know, I think um, it felt it played very realistic 
be in the, the scene, but, you know, then I have this fantastic actress right next to me. So, you know, I, I was very lucky, I think, all the way around to, to have these wonderful actors. And Angel Brooks, who I think is fabulous, you know, who plays the the uh, manager, the yes. studio manager. <laughs> um, she was great, she, too. She's, she's a bright light. I mean, she was a huge star. Uh, she's kind of, you know, had other things come uh-huh. along where she uh, stepped away from acting uh, for a bit. And, and then, uh, but she was, she's co-starred with, uh, she was the lead next to Pam Anderson, uh, the two of them in VIP, oh, for wow. example. I mean, she did big TV shows. Yeah. She's an accomplished actress. So to have her come in and just play those scenes, you know, when you have a great actor, they just take it and run with it. Like she improvised. Well, we did a little improvising. She improvised with the fish. <laughs> I was just the thinking about the, the, the goldfish. You know you want to take this. You know you do. <laughs> yeah. Take me home with and you. And that was, that was it, it, you know, we had to, I mean, that was just such a cute scene. And, I, I liked it. And that was just, you know, yeah. So. But I have to tell you, yeah. to be honest, <laughs> as a viewer, you know, I, I, I just kind of like cringed the following scene where your character is walking to his car. And the reason why is that was such a big uh, container for the fish, right? It's already in a glass bowl uh, and you had other items in your hand. I just thought, Oh my goodness. If, what if he drops it? Like what if that's about to happen? Maybe because he's not focused or he's dealing with so much, but I'm glad, you know, there was a different result, but that was going through my mind. So you created some suspense yeah. with the goldfish. <laughs> well, you know, the goldfish, Matt, I think, wait, Moses. The goldfish Moses, Moses was, a, you know, he's listed as a character in the film because doesn't he, he provides, um, a, a, you know, like an ear to listen yes. to. It's, you know, like Hamlet, Hamlet you know, like in Shakespeare doing a soliloquy or, yes. you know, speaking out loud, like the, the thoughts. It allows... Jason to, or even when um, I was very touched Brandon, when you were talking with, to, to Moses. There, there was a, you know, it, it was like <laughs> it was almost like you know. So you didn't have a dog and you didn't have a cat. So you were talking to this <laughs> fish, maybe in a way you would a dog, and or even to be honest, maybe another person. And you know, I was very touched by that by that moment in the film. Yeah, Moses was a great listener. What can I say? <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm glad you didn't drop them. That's 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 very good. Well, obviously, this all means that the film was casted well. Another key factor for uh, success with the film, with the results you, you have in mind. So very well done on that. And I would like to add with Juliet, who portrayed your daughter, I liked how she was very expressive with her eyes. When I was watching the scenes, I felt like I was wanting to know what she was thinking, and I just wanted to share that with you. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I'm actually, I, I'm going to call her because we had um, another uh, interviewer really focus in and, and make a specific comment about her performance and our relationship that um, she, this interviewer was saying that um, – it's it's very tricky to portray a father daughter relationship on screen. And she said the way that Julie, Juliet and I interacted with each other, she said it was so believable. Yes, so I, I agree. You know, that, again, well, again, it's things that I don't really think about. I think, you know, it's more, some of it's more unconscious. I just thought 
this is a person who feels an actress dancer. Juliet's a professional uh, ballet dancer. She's a beautiful dancer. But, yes. You know, this is a person who feels like I want to play my daughter. I want her to be my daughter. And I actually in real life, I, I have three daughters. I've raised three daughters and I have a son. So, um, uh, you know, I, I have the experience of being a dad and, um, you know, they say that, uh, Son, what is it? The son gets his love from his mother. Uh, wait, uh, a daughter gets um, well. A daughter gets her self-esteem from her father. So you find that um, in, with females that they may search through their whole life. If they don't get what they need from their dad, then they're searching it. You know, searching for it through male partners through their life because uh, that. That father-daughter relationship, I'm probably not saying it very well, but it's it's so crucial to build um, the daughter's self-esteem, you know, that the father is there, that the father is a good father, that he believes in his daughter's encouraging. Well, I'll tell you what, I just wanted to see more of her. That's how much I enjoyed her scenes, <laughs> and, and you are spot on. There, there was chemistry there, and I really enjoyed those scenes as well. You know, you had me thinking about ballet and film and i thought i would just share with you that you know i like to tell people that i grew up in the 80s i was born in the 70s but i grew up in the 80s and that's where i really discovered the love for film for so many reasons and a film that had a big impact on me and to this day i still think of so fondly is white knights with mikhail brishnikov and gregory hines uh, first of all i love the story of friendship and the fight against oppression uh, over you know, the arts and people in general. But um, you did have me thinking of that film, and that's a very pleasant memory for me. I've, I haven't seen the whole film, but I've seen clips from it, and it, it looks like, well, now I'm, I want to see it, because, <laughs> um, and especially it's a, it's a dance movie, yes. from what I remember. Yes. I mean, he, he was such a talented, Gregory Hines talented dancer so yeah that's 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 interesting and you know they're speaking of dance movies i mean there were some you know there are a few not many but there's you know the the ballet movies like black swan center stage i'm old enough to remember the turning point um even the red shoes you know so there are a few but there should be many more i think that celebrate the the beauty of of ballet uh it's just it's such a it's such a gorgeous art form it sure is i and hopefully there'll be even more uh film projects what that focus on that subject matter or at least include it in, on some level well how about i ask you so the a sequel I, I have to tell you when i was watching this film i wasn't necessarily thinking that there would be a sequel for this film i thought maybe it said what it needed to, but now that you have brought up that that's going to happen, it has my mind racing with possibilities, and I'm extremely interested in seeing the follow-up to this film. Well, The Accompanist Awakening, uh, I just, I think it came about because I wasn't done with its characters. You know, I love the care I love my character, uh, Jason Holden. He, he, you know, what's interesting as an actor is, and it's also interesting, you know, being the director and directing yourself as an actor. But 
even though there's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of me in that character, I that character is also very different from me. And so I was a little worried because I didn't want, you know, I wanted to have a character. I obviously I wasn't, didn't want to play myself, you know? So, so, but uh, what's interesting about the sequel is that at, I don't think you, you really don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, we can't give away the ending of the accompanist, but, but when you, but at the end of the accompanist, what, what does happen is that, um, I think I'm not giving anything away for the, the sequel is that uh, Brandon uh, goes to New York and uh, he has a two-year contract with, uh, we call it New York Ballet Company. And uh, so they go as a couple to New York for two years. And then the sequel, the standalone sequel starts when he fulfills his contract and they return to LA. And what's interesting about the sequel is they, they come back to the ballet studio. They come back to some of the same people like Adam, you know, who's doing his thing in life uh-huh. and, and uh, some, some new devilish characters. And, it, you know, it, 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 we have some of the same, but some new characters that are introduced. But what's interesting about the sequel is that it's all about karma. It's very spiritual in that sense of doing the right thing in life. And if you don't, if you've avoided something that you need to take care of or have an issue that you need to resolve, that, that, those are the things that you see when they come back to L.A. two years later, that it doesn't go away. You have to deal with it in some way, in some form. If you've hurt someone, if there's resentment, whatever those things are, and you really see the power of what I call karma, uh, and very interesting, you know, in various religions, yeah, in various religions or belief systems, you know, it may be called something else, but it's basically, it's looking at the results of what you do in life and how you, you have to, you know, have accountability. So I see it as a very sort of, I mean, it's got a lot of drama, probably even more than this film. So there's a lot going on in it, but, uh, and you know, everything for the sequel is going to be bigger and better. Like, um, I, you know, hopefully be talking to some of the great ballet companies to to have some of their dancers come and join the project. So yeah, it's bigger, bigger and better, bolder. (laughs) (laughs) So the, the, the journey continues with the sequel in bigger and bolder ways. Wow. I'm really more magic, more magic, more drama, more excitement. Yeah. It's, it's pretty crazy. Well, I'm going to be watching how you start the film. If there's not very many words, <laughs> I'm going to say, well, maybe I planted a little seed in his mind. Uh, but uh, so are you actually going to film in the Big Apple then? No, because uh, it's, it's, uh, it takes place in L.A. It's when they it starts when they've moved. Oh, back when they've from, moved back. Got you. Now I, now, uh, right. now I get they've it. Moved, they've moved back. They've moved back to do this kind of the same things. Uh, Brandon uh, has, you know, he's nearing 30. So he's, he's kind of transitioning out of performing and into teaching. And then my character, uh, Jason, you know, I go back to playing at the ballet studio, but the, the same issues and the same things. And it's, you know, unresolved things with his kids and with his wife and all kinds of things come back to kind of haunt them. So it's, Again, with that sort of overall look at 
you know, you can't escape your destiny in a way. Wow. You have to, you have to, you have to walk through the fire. You have to face it. But uh, more gorgeous dancing, more gorgeous music, more beautiful dancers to look look at. <laughs> yes. Hey, that that all of this sounds very appealing. I'm very excited for you and. Uh, I hope you'll come back and discuss the sequel once it's completed. I would really enjoy that. And well, speaking of music, you obviously contributed so much to this project. I would like to bring up a song that I just thought was such a huge addition to the overall emotional impact of the film. And I believe it's called If You Ever Needed Me. And I just wanted to ask you if you have anything to share about the singing and writing of the song or what your intentions were for the song in general. Well, it's an interesting story because 10 years ago, I wrote um, a, um, a musical called Three Songs from the Heart. And I was lucky enough to be sponsored by the American, uh, I hope I can say this right, the Festival for New American Musicals, uh, which is a big organization here in LA. And they work with a lot of incredible actors, singers, uh, writers, songwriters. Uh, it's just a tremendous organization. And so they sponsored my, my musical, Three Songs from the Heart. And I was fortunate to um, have some Broadway stars in it. And we, uh, we did put on some performances. So we had... Um, Eileen um, Graff, who's been on Broadway, and you know, she—I think people know her from. Um, I'm trying to think of. She did a TV show in the '80s um, where I think she played the mom. Can't remember the name of the TV show, but uh, but she started on Broadway, and she was Sandy and Bruce on Broadway for two and a half years, and and many she originated some roles on Broadway. So she she was in it, and Lance Edwards, uh, Lance uh, Roberts sorry, um, he uh, directed it. And then he's been on Broadway for the last, uh, since, since he did my show, he's been on Broadway and everything from My Fair Lady. And he's a tremendous performer, but he's a brilliant director. And um, we just had these uh, wonderful actors in it. And so I, beyond having that first performances of it, I haven't actually taken it um, and had it produced on stage again in LA, but I have all this beautiful music. And so I borrowed one of the songs, if you ever need me, from that. And I felt like that, oh, that okay. song fit uh, the theme of this movie. And so, but what's interesting is it wasn't on the call sheet. So when we were uh, filming one of the days, I just had this feeling like I need to have this scene in here. I need to, I need to sing the song. And I, and I had actually uh, been taking voice lessons and then had actually done it as a, um, like a cabaret night for our local theater company um, and did, a, did all the songs from the show and told the story of my life through the song. So I, I was kind of in that mode of thinking about that. And so I, and, and so I just said, hey, guys, I got to add the scene. This is what it's going to be. Ricky and I are going to sit here at the piano, and I'm going to sing to him. And that's how it happened. We just dropped it in the film. I just, it just felt like I needed that song in there, that I needed that sort of song to cement their relationship, their love for each other. 
And uh, it's so funny you mention it because I've had so many compliments on that song. In fact, it, uh, the interview I mentioned from the other day, she had said that, that this needs to be a cover song for uh, either uh, Michael Dugle or Harry Connick Jr. That she, that she could hear them singing that song. So I thought that was a nice compliment. I really appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I really like the song. I think uh, I think you could probably tell. And, you know, I, I love when a song adds something to a film. And, of course, growing up in the 80s, when all of that really kind of just, you know, grew in such a big way, you know, perhaps that's where a lot of that comes from. But I've always liked when a song ties into a film, and, and this one did so well. Really, really enjoyed it. And, and you know, I just, think, um, I just think your film, you know, I love a film that just takes you, as I said, on, on a journey. But I also felt like when I was watching your movie that I just really wasn't sure where it was going to take me as far as the ending goes, which I obviously will not bring up now. But let me just say that I am definitely looking forward to the sequel very much, the continuation of the story. And I would like to ask you, if you don't mind, about the gentleman that you co-starred with and worked with so much. You have brought him up, and that is Ricky Palomino. I just wanted to say that I thought he gave a spirited performance. It was very natural. I I found it to be very sincere as far as the outcome. There wasn't anything pretentious about his performance. And I just wanted to know, when you think back, what was it like working with the gentleman? So um, I'll tell you a funny story. Sure. Uh, we, um, we we were very fortunate to um, have several months of rehearsal uh, before we actually stepped in front of the camera. So I cast him, I cast Ricky in the film, uh, and it was a big casting. Uh, we because we had to find someone who would a really great actor, but also a really great dancer, and that's a hard combination to find. Mm-hmm. And I think we went through maybe 500 actors that were kind of thrown our way from different agencies. And then, um, you know, with our wonderful uh, casting of uh, directors, uh, doing big casting were fantastic. They do the pre-reads. They get everything set up so I could just come in and we could, we could audition the actors. And they would have to do a scene from the movie. Uh, from the script, and then they would have to dance for us. So it was a combination. And then once we got down to like our top 10, which of course Ricky was in, then we, um, then, then we did uh, like chemistry reads. Like I, I'd read with them and you know, kind of just sort of narrow down the competition. But when Ricky came to us, it wasn't someone that I had known like the other actors. Uh, it came through our wonderful British producer, Julie Eagleton, who, you know, just said, because um, she's very big on, you know, she's very involved with social media, and she has a, you know, she has a wonderful evening called Self in Mind, and, and so uh, she said, hey, um, you know, I, I just think I, this actor might be right for this role, and so she gave me his information, and we, we called the name, and, and um Right from the very beginning, we just felt he was branded. Like, he was that character. I mean, it was, it was clear. But we went through all the auditions, and it was very competitive. But in the end, because I felt like this was the most important role to cast in the movie, because that person, like, that was a star-making role. That was a difficult role in so many ways. So when, um, 
uh, so what I wanted to tell you about Ricky is that uh, because we had, we were very lucky to have from March when he was cast, we didn't go before the cameras until October. So we had some time to get to know each other, to create that relationship. And we worked with a wonderful um, actress and theater director, Marilyn Fox, over at uh, Pacific Resident Theater, which has won all kinds of awards. But she coached Ricky and, and myself, and some, you know we worked on several of the scenes. And she, you know, she teaches at UCLA. She, she's a top theater person here. And she's and and very just a wonderful, experienced, wonderful person. And so <laughs> we were coaching, and you know, she gave me lots of notes because, like, for me as an actor, uh, it doesn't come. Uh, you know, I have to really work at it. I have to really. I feel like if I want to be at my best, uh, I'm a, you know, it's a, it's a, a really like this, you know, I need to be coached, I need to really work on it, and think about it. But, you know, Ricky comes in, and he's a natural, he's a natural actor. He hasn't really done a lot of acting, all of his experiences mm-hmm. um, with dance. And so when he came into it, we would start to do scenes, and then uh, Marilyn would give me all these directions, like, don't do this, or try this, or think about this, or here's your subtext, or whatever, right? And so then Ricky, she goes, she turns to him and just think, Marilyn Fox, she's one of the top theater people in LA. I mean, she's really amazing, amazing. And she just said, I can't, I'm not going to say anything. She said, just keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's Ricky. He's a naturally gifted actor. I think he's a better actor than a dancer. And we've seen him dancing, it's beautiful. But he's yes. really gifted, so I've encouraged him over these last couple of years since we first met to really try to to you know uh, pursue the acting because he just has that you know like when I can guess to being able to just you know like one of my favorite scenes is and without giving anything away I think is when. Um, Towards the end, he comes back in and we have that little conversation in the kitchen where we're standing there and handing the letter. And, uh, you know, he, he, you know how it is. You, um, you sometimes, sometimes you nail it in the first couple of takes and sometimes you do a few. Uh-huh. But I just remember I was so impressed with him because we, we came in and did that scene with a very difficult scene, uh, the goodbye scene. And so, um, we just we did a few takes, but I remember one of the takes he came in, and I don't know what his emotional preparation was outside, but he um, he just he was he was so so full of emotion when he came in, mm-hmm. and you can see it written all over his face. So yeah, I think um, you know he I Ricky, if you're out there listening, please keep acting. <laughs> I encourage him as well. So that makes two of us where we're encouraging you to keep at it. And you know what? That scene with the beer outside, uh, that, that is a clear sign to me that uh, there is a lot of talent uh, that he has because, you know, anybody can open up cans of beer and just drink it. But he did it in such a convincing way, trying to drink away his hurt and, and confusion and, you know, all of that. And, uh, when he just kept drinking one after another, it was, it was very, it was done in a very believable and effective manner at that moment in the film. 
Yeah, and there's there's no beer in those cans. We filled them all up with water. Well, he would he would have had a short day. Uh, I think uh, you might have only gotten one take. <laughs> yeah, if it was beer, he would have been passed out for sure. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I think um, good actors or great actors, even if they have a small scene, it just with a look or a raised eyebrow yes. or you know it's the thought in their eyes, it just um, it stays with you. And that's why there's no small actors or no, you know, even if it's uh, every scene is important, even if you don't have a lot of dialogue or if it's just a sentence or two, you can really make an impression on the audience. Um, so, uh, yeah, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful to my cast. I think Aaron Cabot, all, you know, he, he was such, so convincing as abuse, abusive boyfriend and, scary scary yes, to watch yes. you know um and and you know good actors they always bring uh their their full self you know 100 percent. like when aaron when we have that fight scene and uh aaron gets in the car to drive off and he's very upset you know he not to give anything away but what he did was brilliant but i i didn't say do that he just sort of naturally did it as the character and you go wow oh my gosh this is this is a person who's 100 percent invested and um and you know uh i will just share one thing which sure. is uh the unusual thing about the accompanist is that it started as a short film because i knew i didn't have the money to make the feature but after we filmed in October and we filmed the short, the editor and the DP came back and said, uh, they, what they do is uh, the editor puts together an assemblage for the director and, the, and then you go in and, and work with the editor. So when they did the assemblage, they, uh, they both came to me and they said, listen, Fred, you've got 62 minutes. This is, this is more than a short film. You should go back and just film some more of your feature script, you know, film, film some more and then make it a feature. So I said, well, wow. Okay. And, and I, you know, used a little bit of my own money and we got the Ricky and um, Aaron back for those, all those juicy scenes uh, that, that was coming back in November to film with them, with the three of us, we did our fight scenes, the sex, the, you know, all the drama, all, all of those dramatic scenes were in that second wave of filming. But when the editor and I got together for four months of post, because, you know, this was a difficult post because we had, you know, the dancing and it took a long time to cut the dancing sequences. And, um, but we were able to integrate all the drama, the emotional drama into the structure of the film. And it came out to be a 93 minute film. So uh, it was kind of um, a miracle. It was magic in a way. Well, I have to tell you that this has just been such a delightful conversation, Frederick. I really want to thank you for your time and and sharing all of these amazing stories. I feel like this is a big-time, in-depth conversation about the companist, and I just want to say thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Oh, well, I, I feel equally grateful. Um, this has been, to be honest with you, Stephen, one of the happiest, most fulfilling weeks of my life to be able to share my passion for 
storytelling, as my mentor Gregory Peck would say, you know, uh, my passion for independent film, my passion for sharing films. My mission is to make films that can, um, uh, I would say, awaken humanity, but at least, you know, enlighten audiences to raise them up, to, to make them think of the possibilities in life, which can be great. So if I can entertain and um, enlighten audiences, you know, that's, that's my mission. And you are doing it so well. It's my pleasure and honor, (laughs) I have to say. Thank you so much. And this conversation really reflects the spirit I have as a host. And so it's me that also wants to say thank you so much. Well, before we uh, conclude here, uh, I have to say again, I hope you will come back down the road, especially regarding the follow-up to this film. But I wanted to ask you, so when I was watching Westworld season three, right? I just concluded it. I'm a huge fan. It fascinates me just, and like you, you are correct. It is a well-oiled machine. I mean, that is very, very obvious. Was your scene in an office by chance or inside of a building? Um, I was, uh, yeah, it was inside of a building we shot in downtown LA. Oh, you know what? No, we, uh, because it was a few days of filming. Um, I think. Cause I, I'm pretty sure I saw you. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, well, what was interesting about that? There was a couple different locations, but, um, Aaron Paul, I think was the, one of the stars of that season three, right? Aaron Paul. Yes. If I'm, if I'm thinking it right. Yeah. And, uh, I'll tell you, <laughs> I've always have an embarrassing t- story to tell. <laughs> so when I was on set, I was, you know, I think I was in a suit with a briefcase or something. And I was, they found this unique structure to kind of create that sort of, you know, Westworld look. And it was, it was, I, I don't know where they found this, but it was, I think it was a housing project actually. And it would look like a circular cone or something. It was, it was amazing, whoever uh, wow. locations person who found this. But I, I was sitting, I was standing there, talking to somebody, and then um, I just, I, you know, I didn't recognize him. I don't know why. I didn't, I didn't know that he was in those scenes or something. And I, <laughs> I almost walked to him and said, walked up to him because he, he you know, was friendly and introduced himself, which was so nice. But I almost said, "Oh, are you uh, about? Are you an extra? Are you a background actor?" <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I didn't see that. He's he would probably have laughed and thought it was funny. Yeah. But you know, I I'm always I feel like I'm always doing some kind of embarrassing thing like that. <laughs> uh, uh, well, much, I've had my share mouth, of but... moments as well. I'll have to share some with you someday down the road. So so. Uh... Well, I, I, I would say, though, that uh, as far as, you know, stand-in work, um, you know, working with Jeff Goldblum, because we have a very, you know, we both play piano, we're about the same height, we have similar mannerisms, um, that, that has been, over the years, been a really wonderful experience. Oh, Jeff, wow. Jeff Goldblum is, is one of the nicest people I've ever met, and he's a real star. And yes, he, he is. Uh, just, uh, I think very highly you know, not of only. <laughs> well, if you ever get to work with him on set, he's he's the kind of person 
who will just go around and no matter who you are and tell me your name, you know, he shakes your hand, he looks you in the eye and then he wants to know your last name oh, and he wants wow. to know about you. I love that. You know, that's, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. He's, um, and I've, I've been to his house, you know, I've got to know him pretty well. Um, when, um, I worked on, uh, an NBC series with him called Reigns, which was a, a while ago, but, and it was a wonderful series. It was, it was a crime drama, an hour long crime drama and very unusual, but, uh, yeah, I think, um, all, like we were saying beforehand, uh, you know, that all these experiences, whether you're a background actor or you're leading a film, uh, or you're writing a film or you're, you know, I, I think they all add up to something. Yes. Every, all of these experiences will inform who you are as, as a, as a creative, uh, person. So it's, it's all good. It's all good. It's, it sure is. And every part is of importance. I mean, it all adds up to the end results. Everybody working together as an exactly. artistic family. So that's why I have so much respect for crew in general and background folks as well, just as much as I do the principals. And well, uh, wow. Please give Jeff my best. Uh, I have to tell you what, there is a man with extraordinary talent. And I really enjoyed uh, uh, learning more about him. Thank you for sharing that. I'm not surprised to hear that at all. <laughs> of course. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Stephen, so much. I can't wait to actually, uh, you know, listen to the interview when it's all, you know, pieced together. Well, thank you. And, and uh, I guess the song, uh, the song at the end of it, uh, that would be great. That's if right. Include that. So, friends and listeners, thanks to my guest blessings, we are going to include here at the end of the episode in the interview the song that I've been bringing up frequently throughout this conversation, this wonderful conversation with this very talented man, and that is If You Ever Needed Me, and here we go. Enjoy. And be sure to check out my guest's movie, uh, I think it's going to have you thinking about all sorts of things. Well, this is host Stephen Brittingham. Thank you to my guest today. It was a wonderful conversation to Frederick Keeve. And here is the song that we mentioned. Thank you. I need to stretch, reach for the stars. I need to catch a glimpse of me inside. I need to reach and touch the sky. I'll stretch my arms, don't know if it's Something borrowed, something blue Something old and something new It really doesn't matter at all And if you ever needed me To make you see how beautiful you Understand 
You can receive all the latest episodes of Hollywood and Beyond with Stephen Brittingham delivered to your favorite listening device by subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever happens to be your favorite podcast listening service. Don't miss out. Tune in.